0: Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible, if you will, to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. We've been in this series entitled Membership Matters. Uh, and we're talking about the local church, of course, and why it is important, in spite of what many people seem to think today, that membership doesn't matter, and, uh, or that, you know, even though it may can go, and, you know, I heard a fellow say the other day, uh, 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 you know, I may go to this church one Sunday, I'm, I'm going to go to church, he said, uh, but he said, I may go to this church one Sunday, and I may go to that one another Sunday, and, and uh, not going to join, but I'm, I may go there. And so, basically, he was kind of saying, "Membership in a local church doesn't matter." Can you find that in Scripture? Absolutely not. Thank you, brother. So we've been looking at the various reasons, and we certainly uh, won't exhaust them all. Uh, but we are—we've uh, been looking at that. And today, we're going to consider one that is very important: membership matters because. The church's priority, the local church's priority even, is worship. And we're going to look at an Old Testament passage, it'll be familiar to many of you, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah 6. So if you will turn there, you may say, well, if we're, if we're the church and the church is in the New Testament, then why are we studying an Old Testament passage? Well, I do remind you, that was quite some time before the early church had a, had a New Testament, they had uh, the, te- the New Testament was uh, quite some time before it was in, in print. They had uh, prophets who would bring a direct word from the Lord, but they preached from the Old Testament. And so, uh, so, it's, uh, so we know that Scripture teaches that all, that all the Word of God is about Christ and that Jesus even, as he was uh, on the road to Emmaus, he, uh, the Bible says there he began with, uh, with Moses, Genesis that is what he's describing there and all the way through the prophets and he shared with them all the things concerning himself in the scripture so all the word of god all the old testament as well as the new is is about jesus and points to him so certainly the old test the new testament church uh, uh was uh, found its uh, basis uh, and its teaching for worship out of the old testament and this passage we're going to see today certainly was one that uh, they would have been preaching in the early church about the importance and the priority of worship. Uh, so let's look at, uh, at Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, at least verses 1 through 11. So I invite you to stand with me, if you will, please, as we read this uh, passage together. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having In his hand, a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. Let's join our hearts together in prayer as we bring this message. Membership matters because the Lord's, the church, uh, priority is worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in the name of Christ. We thank you for the sense of your presence this morning. and We pray that you would continue to move uh, among your church today. Lord, we pray you will uh, just uh, draw people to Christ this morning, that we may focus upon the Lord, the same Lord that Isaiah saw high and lifted up in the temple that day, is the same Lord who is in our midst today. And we pray that we will focus upon you, Lord Jesus, And we pray that you will continue to be exalted as we worship you in the word. And we pray you'll speak to those, Lord, uh, who, um, who have heavy hearts today, that they would cast their cares upon you, knowing you care for them. Lord, those who are rejoicing, we're commanded to rejoice with them today. Lord, those who uh, who have a spiritual need, who are uh, out of fellowship with you, that they'd be drawn in, into right relationship with you. Those, Lord, who are spiritually blind, who do not have a relationship with Christ, that you would awaken them to their need for you. And again, you will be glorified today in our midst that we might continue to worship you and that the result of this would be changed lives, our own as well as others around us, Lord, as we take the gospel to the nations. Bless this time we have together in Jesus' presence. Name we pray, amen. You may be seated. When our children were small, one of our boys uh, said, uh, asked one day, Dad, what are we gonna do in heaven? And I said, Well, I know one of the most important and the primary things we're gonna do in heaven is we're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to tell you that they said, Wow, that's gonna be awesome, Uh, but they weren't quite sure what that meant. But you know, what is it? What does it mean to you when I say that's going to be the focus of heaven for eternity is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope that does excite you because the priority of heaven and of the Word of God uh, is and must be worship. It is, it is worship. And the priority of the church uh, must be worship as well because it is the priority of heaven and the prior, priority of Scripture. Donald Whitney just, uh, defines worship this way. He, he says it is focusing on and responding to God. Again, because all the inhabitants of heaven are focused on Jesus continually, therefore their worship is unbroken. And that is God's desire for us as well. We, may, we will not always be somewhere singing. We may not always be uh, somewhere gathered with others. But again, everything we do uh, is to be done as an expression and an offering of worship. In fact, oftentimes when the Bible uses the word serve, uh, the word for serve is also translated worship. So they're they're interconnected. Our service and our worship are, are, are one and the same. As we offer up uh, our lives to God, they are to be done as a as an offering, uh, a sacrifice of worship and praise. Uh, and again, you know, we should. Uh, and we do enjoy being able to gather together with other believers at times in other churches. When you uh, when you go uh, out of town to visit family, uh, no doubt, or perhaps you're on a vacation and you find a local church somewhere where you can go and, and worship with other believers, and uh, I don't say that legalistically. I enjoy doing that because, uh, because I always uh, learn something, and also it's good to go and just be there and be able to hear, and not have to be responsible for anything. And I just enjoy worshiping with God's people. Uh, and, but you know, so that is an enjoyable thing. But but why is it important? Why? What does membership have to do with the uh, the matter of of worship and our coming together? Well, again, uh, as we see, and we see in the various passages that that teach worship. Uh, again, uh, worship uh, is is a very, and a very important part of building our unity. Jonathan taught that this morning in the, in the, le, the Sunday school lesson, uh, and uh, the, that, uh, that worship, of course, uh, builds our unity. Unity is an essential part of our worship, but also it enhances that. And, and the Bible says one of the one-anothers that we find in Ephesians and Colossians is that we are to speak to one another, uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So again, you know, why is that important? That's, a, that's one of the one another's within the local church. And you see, as you, um, as you speak to one another, and as you pray for one another in worship, and you regard one another... You're aware of the needs of others. You know, one of the things I'm delighted about, uh, about having been here 11 years, I, I was telling Karen, you know, being able to pray through the directory as I try to do. One of the joys about being here for a while uh, is that you know you get to know people so well you can d- pray for them without the directory you know uh, you can do that and and I'll, and just uh, uh, so, l- l- sometimes at night and more recently I've just lay there and I've thought about you and I've prayed for you and that's true as a part of our worship because of, because you see we are responsible to one another and we are accountable for one another and so as we gather you know there may be something said today that. Uh, in, in a message, and and the message, or uh, something shared, and, and you know about a, a brother or sister in Christ that may be struggling in a certain area, uh, and may be concerned, or even rejoicing in a certain area. And you can pray for them in that time, and you can rejoice with them in that time. Again, because we are a part of the body of Christ. So our worship... Uh, together, even though we're exalting Christ, uh, we do so in regard to one another. And even just coming together around the Lord Jesus builds our, our unity. And as we shared again this morning, we do that even in the midst of our diversity. Just like uh, everything we do as the body of Christ uh, in the midst of our diversity glorifies Him, well, certainly that is true in, in worship as we come together uh, from uh, various backgrounds and, and ages and races. But We may be diverse, but we are unified around the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this passage, uh, of course, uh, in the book of Isaiah, by the way, Isaiah uh, has been called the the most um, beautiful gospel in the Old Testament. It is so full of of references to Christ. And uh, so so it's the gospel of the Old Testament. Uh, And Isaiah ministered in the time of Judah in the midst of their rebellion against the Lord, and in this, uh, this account, Isaiah tells really about his cleansing and about his calling, about how God, how God called him, and he gives that testimony. And as we open up, we see here that it is in the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been the king of Judah for 52 years. That's a long time to be king. So you can imagine the stability of, uh, of 52 years of one king. Well... Uh, he was a personal friend, some believe a relative of Isaiah, uh, but he had led the nation in a time of, uh, of of economic and military security, so a lot of people felt really comfortable about him, you know, um, and, uh, and he, uh, I thought about it be kind of like if uh, I was telling B. Marie some things, she's getting ready for her citizenship, and I was telling her about what we consider to be the greatest president of our lifetime, Ronald Reagan. It would have been like if Ronald Reagan had died when he got, when he was shot. I mean, we thought so highly of him, and we felt so good about our nation at that time. Well, you can imagine how this nation felt. But even though he was a he was a, a successful king in the eyes of men, as we said, it was a very corrupt time in the nation. They had. You say, well, were they not religious? Oh no, they were very religious. Read about them in the, book of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, the opening chapter. God basically describes that in the one prior to here. They were religious outwardly, and yet uh, they were inwardly wicked. Uh, and, and, and Uzziah died, why? Because God brought him down from his wicked pride. He died of, uh, of the dreaded disease of leprosy. Uh, because, again, of his pride. And, uh, and so the, now the nation's sense of security was gone. Does that sound something like our nation, the United States of America? The nation's security was gone. And again, um, uh, these, uh, the, the, he came perhaps to the temple now, Isaiah did, because he was burdened over his nation. His friend had died. And maybe he came to get a word of comfort there that day. Maybe hoping he'd hear a word from God and, and get a word of comfort. But he had something, he experienced something far greater than that. He saw the king, the king of kings, as we see here, high and lifted up. And a, a vision of the of his glory, and he worshiped the Lord. So I believe from this passage we can learn many things. But I want us to see today four truths about True worship, the priority of the church. Notice, first of all, that true worship begins with a vision of God's holiness. True worship begins with a vision of God's holiness. Again, he, he went to the temple that day with the earthly king on his heart, but he, while there, he was able to see the eternal king, the king of kings, and Lord of Lords. He went there feeling like the, 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 the world was falling apart, realizing that the King of Kings was unmoved and would always be upon his throne. And this vision we find in John 12, we know this, this King on the throne was the Lord Jesus himself. For I remind you, Jesus did not begin being king uh, following his ascension. Jesus has always been king, he didn't have his beginning. In Bethlehem, or even nine months earlier in Mary's room, Jesus has always been uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and so he saw this vision of of Jesus high and lifted up. His throne is high and lifted up, indicating it's above all uh, competition, above all contradiction. He is King and Kings and Lord of Lords, and the Bible says here and. In this passage that his train, the train of his royal robe, filled the temple, and this morning we sang about the majesty of the Lord Jesus, speaking of his authority, his sovereignty over all the earth, and certainly that, this speaks of that as well. Verse two describes these angels, this seraphim, uh, which this word means to burn." and, uh, and this speaks of the fact that, that they guard the holiness of God, and, and they search out sin. They had six wings. Uh, uh, four for reverence and two for service. And, uh, and they love being in his presence. And again, that's what's going on in heaven right now. We read about it, Revelation 4 and 5, and, and we'll be a part of it for all eternity, worshiping around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, Isaiah was concerned because his friend Uzziah was no longer on the throne, but now he realizes that the King of Kings is on the throne. And I want to remind us of that today as believers. We live in turbulent times. We live in uncertain times. But when it comes to the world around us and our political situation, but we must not despair because King Jesus is still on the throne. Amen. And so keep that in your mind and your heart at all times, regardless of what's happening. And, and, and because, again, we can see a word here uh, for us in this passage as well in that regard. Notice in verse 3, the angels cried to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This word holy, of course, speaks of God's separateness, his otherness. Uh, holiness is not just what God does but it's who he is. And though they could have named many other attributes of God, they could have said faithful, faithful, faithful. That would have been true, wasn't it? But that's not what they said. They could have said mighty, 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 and that would have been true as well. But they, sp- they spoke holy, 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 because again, that's God's chief attribute. That's who he is. In fact, everything flows out of his Holiness. And the three uh, repetitions of this emphasize again his absolute holiness and that it is his chief attribute. Everything again flows out of that. Uh, His holiness sent Jesus to the cross, his love flows out of his. His holiness. Uh, and, and again, uh, they, they, uh, they were overcome by the realization of God's holiness. And remember, these are people that have been around his throne, or angels, beings of God, created uh, beings by God as well, but they're in his presence all the time. And yet they haven't gotten over it. And amen, dear friend, we must not either. And we will not in the presence of God. It doesn't matter when we've been there ten Billion years, we'll still be overwhelmed with the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ as we worship around the throne. We'll never become bored with that. Hunter read this morning from Psalm 29, and he says there in verse 2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship Worship the splendor. Of his holiness, and that is what—that is where worship begins. A vision of his holiness. Verses three, uh, b and four. Again, uh, we we see here that this this vision of him, and uh, and again how holy is. And he says that, that from heaven's viewpoint, the whole earth is full of his glory. And that's, that's interesting. We sang about that this morning too. Uh, Jonathan, did you pick that? You didn't, you didn't know I was going to preach on Isaiah 6 when you picked that song to begin with this morning, did you? Fit perfectly, man. It's awesome how God put that together. What a beautiful song that describes that. And, uh, and, and the earth being full of his glory. You know, we had the opportunity this summer to go to uh, to, um, to the Rocky Mountain National Park. Wow. I I was just overwhelmed with that beauty. And you know, to think that that, that, that the earth uh, even now uh, has been tainted by sin and that even this earth in which we live that God created uh, was even more beautiful at one time, and we'll, be re- we'll return to its full, the fullness of his glory, but, but God's presence is everywhere. And the, uh, the word glory, of course, speaks of God's manifest presence, and that's exactly what we see taking place here. We see uh, God manifesting his glory, and, and again, we come today, as we come to worship, we come uh, to, to see God demonstrate his glory among us. But Ron Owens said that one of the main reasons we don't worship the way we find these in Scripture worshiping is that we have a faulty view of God. He said more often than not, rather than seeing God's throne, we see man and his creations on center stage. Again, too often in worship, uh, the focus is is on man rather than on God. And, and, uh, and, and it's more man-centered than God-centered. And that's what we desire as we come together is to focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to focus upon Him in our worship and to see Him exalted and lifted up. Uh, Jonathan shared in the lesson this morning in Sunday school and, and our two of our classes uh, gathered together. And, and at my request, I asked him to share some, some of his convictions concerning worship as our, as our lead worshiper. Uh, and uh, he said, as a church, our corporate worship gatherings should be completely focused on Christ and devoted to the glory of God. And he shared, he shared there as, as well uh, uh, something we've shared, we shared together, that in preparing, our, uh, preparing for a worship service and even putting the service together, that Revelation 4 and 5 are, are, is a key text that, that, that he utilizes. And in that passage over in Revelation 4 and 5, and I encourage you to read it, you see uh, the, the, the beginning there in the worship focusing on Christ, but we see there just the four uh, living creatures that are praising and worshiping Christ uh, to the ends of creation. But then it continues to build as others join in and, uh, and again, uh, worshiping there the Lamb. It ends with all of creation praising and worshiping the Lamb. And again, as we, he said, continue through the text, the intensity and focus of worship uh, continually in, uh, increases. Uh, and, and those present incessantly praise the lamb who was slain. And again, that is our desire as we come to worship, that we keep our focus on Christ. You know, you, you may wonder sometimes, and some have asked, well, why do we do some of the things we do in worship? Why, for example, do we begin our worship, uh, right after the announcements? And you know, the, uh, we enjoy, uh, the, the, announcements. Micah does a good job and we pay attention to him. He's got such a great voice and, uh, and uh, so we do those at the beginning, of course. We, those are important. The, the announcements are always, where do you put the announcements? So we have them at the beginning, so you can be reminded of them. But then immediately, uh, that we go into the Scripture reading. Why begin with Scripture reading? Well, you know, folks, is there anything more pure than the Word of God? You know, I can mess up, and often do. And, and sometimes you may have to correct me and say, Pastor, you you said something incorrectly there, and and you would be right. Uh, And I may say something wrong, but you know what? You don't have to worry about that when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God is breathe by God. It is God's Word. So what better way is there to begin our worship than letting God speak to us from His Word? And so we do that. Some say, well, why? I miss the the welcome time. I like being able to do the welcome. And we understand that. It's good that we fellowship, and we want you to fellowship. We encourage that. Uh, But one of the reasons we we uh, have, have moved the, the uh, welcome time from a part of the worship. Again, it's because we want to make sure we focus on Christ. And uh, sometimes we can get focused on Christ, and then if we change and start greeting one another, we take our focus off of Christ. Doesn't mean that we aren't to care about each other. We've already talked about that. But that is the reason for seeking to, to do these things. And, and uh, to, we, we prayerfully consider these so that, again, we can come in just like Isaiah did and his attention was totally captivated on focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what worship is all about. That is what we come to do, to focus on the Lord. So again, true worship, true worship begins with a vision of God's holiness and it's very under, it's vitally important that we have a biblical understanding of who God is. Uh, we're going to see a little bit more about that, but you see the holiness of God. You know, a lot of people think today, or seem to at least, uh, that uh, that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. And so therefore, they, as we said earlier, they have a faulty view of God. Uh, and they think, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, pff, he was kind of mean. You know, when you go over there and read some of those things that happened in the Old Testament, wow, you know, and... Um, uh, I'm glad the God of the New Testament is different. No, he is the same God. He's a holy God. He is a holy God. And we need to see him high and exalted and lifted up. And we're going to see in a moment the result of getting that vision of God's holiness. You know, I, one of my seminary professors, um, Dr. Skinner, he said, a woman said to him one day, he said, oh, I, I had a vision of, of God. And he said, oh, really? He said, what, what happened? He, she said, oh, I just got... I just got Goose pumps all over me. And he said, well, you didn't, you didn't really get a vision of God. She said, what? He said, no, that's not what you do when you get a vision of God. You fall on your face in brokenness before God. And that's exactly what we see happening to Isaiah. So notice second, true worship requires brokenness over our own sin. True worship requires brokenness over our own sin, because that's what happened there in, in verse 5. As a result of, of, again, the presence of God, the glory of God being manifested there, the, the, again, the post of the door shaken with the presence and the voice of God, the cloud being that Shekinah glory cloud, the f- smoke being the, the Shekinah presence of God. As a result of that, he said, woe is me, for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So again, when you get a vision, dear friend, when we have a vision and worship of God and His holiness and His majesty, it causes you, it causes us to see ourselves, to see the wickedness of our own heart. How did Isaiah respond to the holiness of God? He said, woe is me. This is a a, a word that speaks of a legal charge. He is saying, I am speechless. He is saying, I plead guilty. Or another translation, I am ruined. uh, And in a a good sense, because he came to realize how how guilty he was. You see, everyone who who ever got a true uh, understanding and and a vision of who God is in his holiness, the result of that was, was, again, brokenness over sin or rebellion against God. And and we we see that in Job. Job responded when he truly saw uh, the the glory of God. He he responded uh, in in brokenness. When, when, uh, again, um, Peter was in the presence of God and he saw the power of God and the holiness of God, he said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. When you come to see the holiness of God, it, it causes you to be broken over your own sin. But then again, it causes you, as we're going to see, to be cleansed. So the result of that, as we saw many, even in the life and ministry of Jesus, they realized his holiness, but they were broken over the sin and repented and cleansed, as we're going to see in a moment. So that's exactly how Isaiah responded, and that's how we should respond. You see, we, we treat sin too lightly today, dear friend. Again, because we, we have the wrong view of God. Because again, we, we, uh, we think that somehow God just winks at sin. We think that God treats sin lightly. But no, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. You see, how, how seriously does, does God see sin? He sees it so seriously, He was willing to send His own precious Son to die in our behalf. And the Lord Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us because of sin. He was willing to receive the the sins of the world upon himself, to take your sin and my sin upon himself, and then to have all the holy, righteous anger of God Almighty that would separate us and would, would send us, rightly so, to an eternal hell to pour out that wrath upon him and to receive that willingly for us That's how serious sin is. If you wonder for a minute how serious it is, we treat sin far too lightly. And so he began to confess his sin. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so what he's doing here, he's confessing. The word confess, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't just mean say, Oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. No, it means to agree with God about your sin. It means to say the same thing about your sin that God does. It means to, to seek to be as, to, to understand and feel the same way about sin that God does. To hate your sin, to despise your sin, to turn from it. He said, Woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips the Scripture says, are an indication of an unclean heart. I have a dirty heart. I have a filthy heart. And dear friend, if you're like me and you were even came to Christ at a young age and maybe you were spared by the grace of God of some of the destructive things of sin that many have not be, I remind you that it takes as much grace to save that young child as that d- does that hardened prostitute or thief or rapist or murderer. It takes the grace of God and the precious blood of Christ to save everyone. So we must not treat sin... Lightly, we must turn from sin, even as believers, forsake our sin as God reveals it, and repent before the Lord. And again, have the attitude that David did in Psalm 51 when he said, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. John MacArthur said, If you have never worshipped with a broken and contrite spirit, you've never fully worshipped God. Because that is the only appropriate response to entering the presence of a holy God. Isaiah heard these angels speaking to one another, holy, holy, holy. And he realized that he could not worship God. He couldn't truly worship God because he didn't have a clean heart. He couldn't bring a sacrifice to the Lord because he was unclean. He couldn't worship and he certainly could not witness and he was, he was burdened over his own sin, and he repented. But notice he was not only burdened over his own sin, but he was burdened for the sin of others. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, as I said earlier, the, one of the things that is true about us being a part of the local body of believers is that we are responsible for one another and accountable to one another. You say, well, did Isaiah have a holier-than-thou attitude? Was he being judgmental? Absolutely not. You see, again, we are responsible. He was brokenhearted. And that's what it is as, as believers in Christ. We should not only treat lightly the sin in our own lives, but because we are part of the local body of believers, the local church, and again, even other uh, believers outside of our local church, we should be burdened over the condition of God's church. We could be, should be burdened over the sin in the lives of others. Again, why? Judgmentally? Absolutely not, but because of concern. I shared with, with Hunter the other day about my quiet time in Joshua. Some of you are reading through the Bible in two years, and you're in Joshua. And the other day, I read it, I read it again, and I never thought about the application to the local church here. But uh, some of you remember that when the several tribes that had said, we want, to stay, we want our property, be, we want our inheritance to be on the east side of the Jordan... And uh, Moses allowed them to do that as long as they would go in and fight for their brethren. And when they had conquered, they could leave their family over there, but when they'd conquered, they would go back over. So they said, we'll do it. And they did. And so they went back over now. I don't remember, half-tribe of Manasseh and, and some others, Gad, I think. And they got back over there, and they decided to set up an altar. They set up an altar. Well, when the children of Israel heard... Back on the other side now, the other 10 tribes, when they heard, or more than that, or less, they heard that they had set up that, that, that altar. They, they said, they, get together, guys. Let's go. We're going up there, and we're going to kill them. We're going up there, and we're going to fight against them. And so they all gathered together. You may, you may think, well, why didn't they call them on their cell phone? You know, they didn't have cell phones then. They didn't even have telegrams. So they all got, I mean, they got the army together, and they were going in there to whoop them. And when they got over there, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't build an altar here. Now, why were they so concerned about that, by the way? Because they knew that was, that, was, uh, uh, that was like setting up a different religion or a different worship of God. They were concerned for the glory of God. They were concerned about sin in the camp. They were concerned about God's honor being, being robbed. They were concerned about God destroying the nation because of the sin that he would have to judge, not just those tribes, but the whole nation because of that wickedness. So when they got there, they said, no, 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 no. We're not setting up an altar to offer sacrifice. We're not starting a new religion here. This is just to be a reminder to us of the true altar. And it's to always serve as a reminder to, to our children who God is. And, and, it, and they called it witness. And it's to be a witness to the, the ones on the other side that we're connected there too. So they said, oh, okay. And they went on back home. It's all right. You know, I thought about that. That's the attitude we ought to have as believers. That's the attitude that Isaiah had. He was brokenhearted. He was concerned over his, uh, his, his people. And that's exactly how we should feel about the family of God, about, and particularly our local church. And again, that is why, again, membership matters. Because we're responsible to one another. We're accountable for one another. And we should be concerned for one another, even as we worship. And we want our whole family to be walking in fellowship with God. You know, God's glory is manifest. uh, He manifests his presence among his people when we gather together. That's his glorious presence. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see that uh, with, with uh, children of Israel going across the, uh, through the uh, as God revealed himself in the pillar of fire by night and the, cl- the, the uh, cloud by day. That was God's glorious presence. We see it as he's appeared to Moses and Moses would go in and he would come out with the, the glow of God, being in the presence of God. We see it over in 1 Kings when, he, when they dedicated the temple under Solomon. The Bible says there in 1 Kings 8, Uh, It says, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. He manifested his glory uh, to them that day. But he also did that in the New Testament. When we get over to Acts chapter... Well, by the way, on Pentecost, that was a manifestation of God's glory. Then when you come to Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know, the the word of God uh, was spoken, and and of course, he shook the temple in in Isaiah's day with the voice of God, with with the glory of God, and here in the book of Acts, he shook the place with his presence. So we... We, uh, we don't come to seek a feeling. We come to seek God. And, and again, we're grateful for his glorious presence. But then we find uh, the story over there uh, uh, when uh, Enoch's uh, sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in their wicked rebellion against God and, and Enoch's unwillingness to confront their sin. And after his death, you remember, uh, one of the daughter-in-laws named their child Ichabod. After their death, she died as well. Ichabod, meaning the glory, has departed. Some say Ichabod could be written today all, for, all over the doors of many church buildings, over many churches, because the glory has departed. What, what's the reason for the seeming decline? The majority of churches today are declining and showing so little fruit. Could it not be again because we have tolerated evil? Like, like uh, the day uh, when Jesus described there the church at Laodicea, the Lord Jesus was on the outside knocking, asking admission to his own church. The glory has departed. But, oh, dear friend, I believe that, that largely God has been so patient with us. But I believe, again, that, that God is saying to us it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God, that we must deal seriously as Isaiah did with his own sin, and we must be serious and concerned for the sin of others, not to be a judgmental uh, or to be unloving or unkind, but because we do love one another, we want to be obedient to the Lord Jesus. You know, we've recently made some changes in our constitution and bylaws in regard to just reminding us of our responsibility to care for one another in this regard. And we, uh, we made some changes where we, we didn't make a, an immediate timeline of when this would start. And, and I believe God led us to do this because, again, it needs to start immediately. We need to lovingly correct one another. And I'll be honest with you, as we think about nearly 250 people who are not in fellowship, we, can't, we, we don't know where they are. We're, they're not a part of our body, and they're not serving with us and worshiping with us. Um, we must prayerfully, we are prayerfully seeking God's direction. How do we go about this? And I'm just telling you, I don't know. Let's pray for God's direction. And I believe he's going to show us. But I know one thing, our goal and our desire is to restore. To restore people, either to, to a personal relationship with Christ or to a right relationship with Christ, whatever the need may be. But, but again, we must be as concerned. We must be concerned as Isaiah was about the people of God, as we're concerned about one another. And that's a part of our, rela- our responsibility. And even as we come to worship, that must be our concern. And it's everyone's uh, responsibility. Uh, so, so again, true worship requires brokenness over our own sin. But thirdly, true worship results in transformation of our hearts and lives. In verses six and seven, we we see this angel flew there, took this live coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. He touched Isaiah's mouth with it and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is." Purged. This is symbolic, of course, of the purification of sin. We know Jesus offered himself up, his precious blood was shed in order that our sin might be cleansed. And aren't you grateful today for the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb? That first John 1 uh, 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, literally keeps on cleansing us from sin. And, and worship is a very important part of that as we come together, as we get under the word and God reveals to us. You know, one of the things that's been exciting in my life this week as, I, as I've sensed God's presence is that God has shown his light on some areas in my life, even in my relationship with my precious bride, uh, things that that I may have that I've taken for granted and, and so God has revealed those and so God works in us through his word and through his presence to reveal sin to us that we might confess that and make it right and repent of that and make it right with others and that is uh, that's the, the, the result of true worship it results in transformation and cleansing and blessing and if you will the return of the presence of God in our lives and joyful worship that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, many people fear, as we think again about church discipline, and we talked about that, that, if we, that it will hurt our attendance when we try to deal with sin in our lives, as Isaiah was concerned in his own life and that of the others, and he preached, as you see, throughout Isaiah. But, you know, Scripture teaches the other, the absolute opposite. You remember the first case of, of church discipline uh, in the, the, the church, I believe it was at least, was, uh, uh, was uh, in Acts chapter 5, and God, God initiated it. Uh, these, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they, uh, they lied about uh, what they said they gave in the offering and, uh, and individually one at a time without the other knowing. Uh, well, Ananias is already dead. But anyway, he lied, came in, he, he didn't repent, and he died. They took him out. In a little while his wife came in, they asked her about it. She lied, and she died. So God, the same God, by the way, that's the same God, that's, that's in the New Testament, He still takes sin seriously. Praise God, he has mercy on us, right? Or there'd be a whole lot of funerals going on and a whole lot of churches because, again, of people disobeying and dishonoring God. And so he exemplified for us how seriously we should see sin in the church and how we should respond to it. Well, you think, wow, did that shut them down? I'm surprised the church grew after that. Well, listen to Acts chapter five. It says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together. By the way, that's that word, one accord. All together, all in one accord in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. You see, dear friend, God honors His church when we seek to honor Him, when we seek to uphold the teaching of His Word, when we seek to be obedient to Him. And that's what we should pray for as we seek to, to be holy and pure as the bride of Christ and to worship Him in the beauty of holiness. And then, number four and finally, true worship results in obedience to God's call. Well, now, once His, his heart was clean uh, and His heart was burdened for His people as well, his his uh, not only was his his worship restored but his witness was restored as well because again we read here I heard the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then I said here am I send me again uh, Ron Owen says worship that does not result in surrender and service is not true worship again having seen God uh, there and repented of his sin, he could now see sinners around him and he was willing to re- and ready to respond to the call of God. Same thing happened to David in Psalm 51. We got right with God. Then he was ready to go. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will Return to you. He was not ready to go, but now that he had this vision of the Lord and worshipped the Lord uh, in holy, in the in, in the beauty of holiness, he was now ready to go to the world and lost. And two, we must prepare our hearts by coming into His presence and being uh, being made right with Him as we hear from Him and respond to Him, and then we too can say as Isaiah said, "Here am I. Send me." Now Isaiah had a rather unusual commission. Uh, I'm grateful ours is different, but we're just but but again the word for us is we're, we're called to go We're called to be obedient regardless of the response of the people We're to keep on going and keep on telling and keep on being obedient And that's what we're to do with the great commission and we are to go until Because he said, how long? We're to keep on going and we're to keep on sharing the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. There's more we can say about that, but next week our message will be on our responsibility to evangelize in the Great Commission. So let me just say to you today as we prepare to close, it's essential that we prepare our hearts to worship. Jonathan, again, talked about that this morning in the lesson, and it's important that we come, as Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. It's important that we prepare to, for worship. You would expect, you expect me to come prepared, right? You expect me to come studied up and prayed up and prepared to preach the message. Well, again, your job, your role is to make sure your heart is ready to worship God, ready to receive the Word of God and to apply the Word of God and, and, and to obey the Word of God and the prompting of God as God speaks to you. And so I challenge you to, to take that responsibility carefully. Uh, you know, We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together next Sunday. In fact, we're, we're seeking to to, uh, implement the celebration of the Lord's Supper at least once a month. That's, that's, uh, uh, an increase. And I'm, I, as I said to the team last time, we're putting them on notice if they didn't already know. And I appreciate our Lord's Supper team and what they do to help us in worshiping the Lord. And so this is important. And the Bible talks about how important it is to prepare our hearts. So I challenge you, prepare your heart. And not just then, but always. But, for, but, but thinking, be thinking about that this week. The early church probably celebrated the Lord's Supper every week. And, and no doubt, as you constantly focus on the sacrifice of Christ, what a difference that makes on, in your worship. And I challenge you. And we're also going to be utilizing our church covenant as we do that. And so we, you got a copy of that last week. Read over that this week and be thinking about that and the implications of that. We want us to really realize we're in covenant one with one another. And this is our covenant together. So again, prepare your heart. And uh, and, uh, Jonathan again said, uh, unity in worship is so important that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that a person should refrain from presenting his worship to God until they have reconciled with anyone they are at odds with. And he said, my desire is that we as a church would take seriously the command to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and that we would seek to foster unity in our corporate worship gatherings. Uh, You know, there's a song, uh, you probably, some of you have heard it on the radio. Uh, It's been there by Matt Redmond for quite some time. It's called The Heart of Worship. This came out of a church's experience that realized that they were just kind of being, as they put it, connoisseurs of worship rather than participants, that they look like they were there just to kind of be entertained, and, and, and uh, so, it, so they begin to really think about that. It's not about what we come to get out of it, but it's all about him and focusing on him, as Isaiah did that day in the temple. And Matt Redmond, the worship leader, wrote this song, and the chorus goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And I challenge you to think about that as you come to worship. It's all eyes on Jesus. Focus on him, the King who is high and lifted up and ask that God would draw you near to our precious Lord. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can, as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at